what's up, everybody? Welcome to Running Things, a podcast by Tempo Journal. My name's Riley Wolf. I'm your host. I'm also the editor over at tempojournal.com and at Tempo Journal on IG. Welcome to episode five. Couple days late, one or two days late, but uh, not that the days are really meaning a whole lot to most of us right now anyway, but I'm really excited today to bring you the interview with Lou Serafini over in Boston. If you're not familiar with Lou, Pretty incredible amateur runner. Um, I use the word amateur loosely. He's a he's a sub four minute miler back in 2018. He's a two time competitor at the U.S. Olympic marathon trials, most recently in Atlanta at the end of Feb. So we'll be talking to Lou about his own training. He's a coach as well, so getting his advice for athletes right now, and also some of the work that he does for Tracksmith over there in Boston. We do want to keep bringing you guys a different mix of athletes on the show as well. So. Obviously, some elite athletes like Jen or like Katrina Bissett or we've got Charlotte Perdue coming up next week on the show, but also we want to bring you guys some insights from some amateur athletes who are doing things in their community, such as Lou or Tim Rossi, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago as well. So if there's anyone you really want to hear from, please get in touch with me, editor at tempojournal.com, and we can make it happen. For now, though, let's get stuck into this chat with Lou Serafini. All right, we're going to go all the way over to Boston right now to be joined by Myla, marathoner, coach, all-round good guy, Lou Serafini. Lou, how are you? I'm good, Riley. Um, excited to be on and, and talk to some people. Firstly, what's news in Boston? What's it like over there? How are you going? Boston's all right. Um, I feel like we're handling it better than some of the other cities. Um, you know, I, everyone's pretty locked down. I think the and, and just kind of trying to do our part, but it's it's just like anywhere else where every day is a little bit different and things kind of just keep evolving. So um, the, the biggest challenge for me personally has just been um, just like finding places to run where there aren't people. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, um, I know they closed down like the lakefront path in Chicago um, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that with the Charles River pretty soon. It's just like, it's gotten to the point where it's it's almost unrunnable if you go out there in the afternoon just because there's so many people because the weather's starting to get nice now. Um, but trying to take advantage of that and like go run in different places that I don't normally run. And uh, but otherwise, everything's all right. You know, we're, we're just kind of doing what we can and trying to get through it as quick as we can. Have you seen I, I know in Melbourne because gyms are closed and other types of sporting facilities are shut. Not only are we seeing the runners out running, but we're seeing people who maybe didn't run before or who are new to the sport are, are starting to take up running because there's nothing else they can do. Are you seeing the same there? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, talk about like silver linings. I think we've seen a couple and that's definitely one of them. Um, a lot of people just kind of picking up the sport and I, I hope we see a little bit of a running boom that comes from this. You know, people are going to be really eager to go out and race once this is all over with. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've heard, I've heard a couple, a couple stories here and there, and I've gotten definitely some people asking me for like shoe requests and, and stuff like that. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of funny and I can't tell them, you know, go get fitted for a pair of shoes cause you can't really do that right now. But, uh, but it's good to see people. I, back when I worked at Heartbreak, I would always, one of my, like, you have your like little go-to sales pitches when you're selling shoes and. One of them was always, you know, a pair of shoes is, is just as good, if not better than a gym membership. And it's a one-time fee that you pay for them. So, um, so yeah, it's good to see people getting out there. And a lot of the, uh, the shoe companies are still selling shoes right now. I, I bought shoes from my hometown running store in Albany, New York, and they shipped, they were quicker shipping than, than Amazon. I got them in, in like less, less than two days. So, and, uh, <laughs> and heartbreaks taking online online orders. So it's, it's good to see people, uh, you know, still, still trying to get shoes on people's feet and we're, we're trying to get product on people too at Tracksmith. And it, it's, it's a good, it's good vibes for sure. So actually let's, let's speak about Tracksmith a little bit. What are you guys seeing? I know you guys create and sort of cultivate this really strong community sense around the runners in certainly in Boston. What are, what are they saying to you? I know you guys are reaching out and doing some surveys and you've got a bunch of other different sort of content out right now. What are you getting back? What are you hearing from the Boston community? 
I think it's, um, I was actually surprised um, with how positive everyone was initially, like back in March, because this is our most popular time of the year for group runs. Everyone's getting ready for Boston. And, you know, our racing team is like doing the New England Grand Prix circuit and there's tons of races. And um, I was really expecting people to react negatively um, and, and be upset with all the races being canceled and not being able to run. But it, it really was cool to see the community kind of like rise up and recognize like the bigger situation that we're that we're dealing with right now. And um, and I, I know we're seeing like on our like smaller group racing team in Boston, like people are already excited about fall races. There was like a super long back and forth on our on our, our group messaging app that was like 50 messages long today. I didn't even have time to read through it, but uh, people are excited to race again. That's definitely one thing. I think there's a lot of like uncertainty of like how to weather the storm. Um, I tried to write a piece about it and, and kind of what I thought made sense for what people who are training for races should do right now. Um, the initial consensus was like, you know, just do base training, you know, and you got to shut it down at some point and, and get ready for whatever your next race is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Now, now it kind of seems like we're not quite at that, like light at the end of the tunnel moment. So everyone's just kind of treading water. But, um, uh, the other big thing that we're seeing a lot of is just people just getting out there and running, like we talked about and using this as an outlet. Uh, we created a, um, a Slack channel for the Boston running community. So not just, you know, Tracksmith affiliated people, just anyone in the Boston running community is welcome to kind of join it. And people are sharing photos and news articles and um, that it's been good to, to kind of see how the communities worked with each other to keep themselves engaged and um, yeah, spend a little extra time on Strava these days and just kind of seeing what other people are doing. But um but yeah, man, it's it's been all right. We we definitely have to band together, and you, you need running community now more than ever. So we're we're trying to think of more ways to engage with our Hair AC community at Tracksmith, which is our like global running community. And I think we've got some ideas. You know, when we do things, we try to do them in a big way that are really impactful. So um, rather than just kind of like doing a bunch of small things, so I think we've we've got some good good ideas, and we'll we'll try to roll those out pretty soon. But. Um, but yeah, like I said, just just trying to stay positive and, and keep each other motivated. So I love that you guys like I think from a, the last couple of weeks, you guys have started sharing like favorite running books or um, favorite running films and all this sort of stuff. And it it feels like I mean, some of them we know of some of them a lot of us probably didn't know of. So it's a really um, it feels like a really personal part of the brand to be able to relate to runners. Yeah, I think um I, I like to think that we have a lot of <laughs> good creative minds at Tracksmith and it, it was almost kind of like, you know, we're always trying to create and generate content as much as possible. And it was just like speaking from a company level, like it was really cool to just see everyone like snap pivot and like go from like, all right, how are we going to promote the spring collection to like, all right, like let's, let's get a list together of all our favorite running books. And, um, that's kind of how culture club was started. And, you know, I sent out that survey, um, basically for those of you that don't know, just like, I reached out to, you know, maybe a hundred people, 200 people just to see what I would get back. Basically like, how are you weathering the storm? Did you have a race get canceled? And, you know, just kind of like, gathering content and then that led to runners on the storm which is a, a piece about um you know how runners are dealing with the situation and you know like i said we've got culture club on instagram which is a, a list of our favorite running books and movies so it, and you know it doesn't stop there like we're just like constantly kind of trying to think of things and and create content and it, it was cool to see the company pivot and and just like immediately start thinking of other things that we can do to uh to keep our running community engaged so Let's jump into the article that you mentioned earlier that you wrote recently. And for anyone who doesn't um, understand, I guess, the context behind when Lou speaks about running, not only is Lou a 216, 217 marathoner, he just ran the Olympic trials in Atlanta. He's also a sub four minute miler and obviously has a lot of experience coaching and, and leading other runners. So Lou, talk us through what kind of was your advice or your perspective for runners in that piece? Yeah. So I think it kind of depends on, um, on where you are at with your training. So, uh, you know, most people I, I think that I spoke with had some sort of spring marathon coming up or spring racing schedule, outdoor track and had gained, you know, a considerable amount of fitness through the winter and had worked really hard to build up that fitness. 
So um, the article was written back in March when we we didn't really know when races were going to get put back on the schedule. So so to me, you know, like just take Boston as an example. Like say you're running the Boston Marathon or the London Marathon, you know, three weeks into April. Um, if you shut it down now in March or April or whatever, then you're kind of left with an awkward amount of time to train for that race in September, late September. Um, you know, you're looking at like 25, 25 week build, which is too long. Um, you know, and so, so the general thought process was like, you know, you, you've worked really hard. You've, you've done all this work, you've gained all this fitness. So, um, you know, you could kind of bridge the gap, so to speak, to your next training cycle by just doing some good aerobic base, like base training. So, you know, you don't need to go to the track and rip a bunch of 200s or, or do a bunch of speed work, but one good, solid uh, aerobic workout every week, you know, mix it up with like a fart lick or a tempo run, um, you know, really whatever you're feeling on that given day. And then one good, solid long run on the weekend. And then you reduce your mileage by you know, 15, 20%, you don't need to go out there and go do a, a 20 mile, 22 mile long run right now. Cause there's, there's nothing coming up, but if you, if you can do that, like really nice baseline level of fitness training, um, you're going to come out on the other side feeling pretty strong. And if, if we've got some races on the calendar in May, June, you might still be able to use that fitness, um, and again, go run a PR that's best case scenario. Um, now it's looking more and more like there, there definitely won't be any races, but you know, there's a lot of, um, virtual races if, if that's your thing, or I've actually like, I hate time trialing so much and I always advise the people that I coach not to time trial, but now I'm kind of like, it's taking me back to my high school days where we do like a two mile time trial at the beginning of every season and time trialing is hard and it's like, it's a good exercise and, and you're really just out there by yourself, pushing yourself to, to continue on. And it's, it's good mental practice for, for the next time you go out and actually do have a race. So, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you go do base training for five weeks and then go rip a couple time trials, whether it's part of a virtual series or just kind of on your own, that's good practice. And all that fitness is not going to be lost going into your next training cycle. So, um, and above all, it's being positive. You don't want to do too much right now either, because, you know, if you burn yourself out or hit a wall or, you know, you just, you're men mentally broken from this, you have no more outlets. Like, like for me, running, running's like, my only outlet. I, and if I was hurt right now and some people are, um, you know, this would be a really difficult time for me and you'd, I'd have to, to think of other ways to get out there and distract myself. So, um, so I think just keeping that baseline level of fitness is a good way to approach it. Um, now if you're like me and you just ran a marathon, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've actually looking back, feel like super, super lucky. Like, isn't it crazy that trials even happened? Like, uh, at the time it was like, of course it's going to happen. But looking back, it, it seems really lucky that, that it actually did. Um, but if you're like me and you just raced or you're, you know, you're coming off some, some time off, you know, this is just a good time to get out and run. No, you, you don't need to work out. Just, just go out and run as you feel. Um, my, my coach, uh, texted me. I last night and I've been like itching to get back to working out. Like I'm one of those people that really sucks at taking time off. Like I know you're supposed to take like two, three, four weeks off after a marathon training cycle. And I'm, I'm the person that's like, all right, I got a week off. I'm ready to start working out again. And he's always kind of holding me back. So, um, I texted him yesterday and I was like, do you want me working out this week? And he basically was just like, he responded just why <laughs> my coach is very blunt and, uh, and I was like, yeah, good point. Fair enough. And then he was basically just like, all you should be doing right now is running miles, drinking beer, having a good meal, getting a good night's sleep and running more miles and just repeat that and do that every day. So that's kind of what I've been doing. And, uh, it's, it's been nice. It's been enjoyable and, uh, it's it, all good practice and like, um, you know, running alone, like, which is, is something that, uh, you know, I take for granted, I guess, is like running with other people is something I take for granted. And, and now I'm forced to kind of run alone again. And it's it's all good mental practice. You know, we'll hopefully come out stronger on the other side. Let's go back to the trials marathon in Atlanta. It was, for anyone who's not up to speed on it, it was a pretty arduous day, really. It's not only a super hilly course, but it was really windy as well. Um, Lou, talk me through, I guess, your recap or your perspective on how that race unfolded for you. 
Yeah. So, um, I don't know. It felt like it was kind of the cap on my second go at marathoning. Um, when I first graduated from college, I went, I was a track runner. I, you know, it was okay. 14, 45 K 410 mile, but I, I just didn't want to get back on the track when I graduated from college. So I was like right into the marathon and, uh, and I did okay with it. I got down to 217 and then I went back to the track and that's when I ran all my, my good track PRs, broke four in the mile. And then I, it had been a couple of years since running the marathon. So this was really like, I ran the trials in 2016 and I dropped out. Um, and get, stepping back up in distance was not easy for me. Um, I, I was hoped that it would come naturally, but it definitely, was challenging. Um, I had a really tough race at grandma's, uh, the June before I ran about, I think I ran 221, uh, but with a big positive split, it was out in, in 106 for the first half and then, and really struggled the second half and then decided that I needed to do another marathon before trials. Um, and that was when I ran my personal best at New York, which was 216 on a, on a hilly course. And that, that was like, that was like the race where I was like, all right, like, I think I've got this distance, like, more or less figured out, um, getting closer at least, you know, and, uh, yeah, had a really good training cycle for trials and, uh, it was a bit of a victory lap. I, I kept telling people going into the race that my only goal was to finish and they kind of would like smile and laugh at me and I'd be like, no, I'm serious. Like I'm not going to make the team. I'm probably not going to PR on this course. Like I didn't finish in 2016 and I know it's going to be fucking hard with the Hills and I just want to finish the race. Um, and there were points in the race where uh, it felt like I might run a PR. Um, I came through halfway in about 108, and I was feeling really easy. Uh, but then there were points in the race where I definitely didn't know if I was going to finish or not because it was, for anyone that wasn't in Atlanta, it was hilly. And worse off, it was windy. It was really, really windy. So, um so yeah, it was a tough day. Um, I said like right after the race, whoever designed the course was like psychotic because they put like the hardest part right at the end. Like it was uh, like an out, another out and back that we had never done. It was like two up and down hills and it was totally exposed to the wind. So it was, it was really brutal, but, um, but it was a really like, I'm not this type of person at all, but it was like a very like spiritual day. Like I came out of the race feeling very happy. Um, I ran 220 and finished 60th, uh, which was, you know, not my, my A goal. I thought on a good day, I could be top 20. Um, but I, I walked away feeling happy and probably the most motivated to train that I'd ever been, uh, since the training block I had when I went and broke four in the mile. So, um, the plan was going to be to go do track, uh, and try to qualify for trials in the 10 K. Um, I think that's still going to be the goal. I just have a little more time to, to focus on it now. So, um, but yeah, I can go into more details on the race if you want to, there were, there were some pretty special moments along the way, but Atlanta did such an incredible job of like getting the people out there and, and it was, it was really cool. So when I arrived in Atlanta, I, I wasn't really sure what we were going to see. Was there going to be big crowds or was it just going to be like a friends and family type vibe given how small the field was, but and it wasn't it probably wasn't until an hour before the race i realized exactly how busy it was going to be it was a it was a pretty packed atmosphere out there yeah the organizers um well one of the organizers from atlanta track club uh caught me in the lobby after and he said there was over 200,000 people people that came out for it which is it felt like a marathon major um which is a great experience cuz i i mean i did la and that was cool. There was a lot of people there, but they, we had this loop that went back through USC's campus and it was desolate. And I remember it was the same thing. It was, well, I think Atlanta was three loops. LA was four loops. And I remember coming through USC's campus the third time and there was no people. It was dusty. There was lots of turns. And as I was coming through, all I could think was like, there is no way I can come through a fourth time. And that was when I decided to drop out. But um, yeah, kudos to kudos to Atlanta for for getting the people to to really show up. I can't believe I forgot about you running New York. I remember actually getting like a, a shot of you about 100 meters from the finish line that day. Um, you obviously love hard marathons. I mean, New York, you've done Boston, Atlanta now as well, like your your half marathon time suggests that your marathon ceiling is quite a bit faster. I mean, you ran 103, I think, for the course record at the Brooklyn Half last year. Do you have further ambition in the marathon? And, and do you have 
an idea to go and obviously look for a, a flatter, faster course? Yeah, I, I do definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky. Like I try to change it up in my running as much as possible because I find that, and I don't know if other people share this sentiment, but I find that if I do the same thing over and over and over again, I get bored and I lose focus. So, um, you know, when I broke four, that was that was coming off of having just done a, a horrible Boston marathon the year before I ran like 237 or something like that. And literally like walked parts of the second half of it. And I had just done so many marathons before that. And I was like, fuck this. I need to get back on the track. I need to change it up. I had done one workout in that training cycle where I ran, um, like a 231 K like to finish the workout. And it like felt pretty comfortable and like at the time I was still a 408 miler and I, but I was like, man, I could not have done this when I ran 408 in college. Like maybe I should take a crack at that. And like just being so motivated to train for that, I think was what propelled me to actually doing it. Um, same with running 216 at New York. I really just was like done with being on the track and, uh, was feeling kind of burnt out from it and I just wanted to change it up. And, um, so yeah, so now I'm, I'm actually like <laughs> pretty motivated to do both. I, I kind of feel like I haven't gotten my big break in the marathon yet. Um, that one Oh three was, uh, a, like wire to wire solo at Brooklyn, which is a fast course, but it's got some Hills. Um, so I actually think I, you know, if I had gone to like a Houston or something like that, I might have a one Oh one or one Oh two low in me. Um, and I think the bigger thing for me with the marathon is I, I always feel like I'm ready fitness wise, but I always get this like muscle cramping in the second half, uh, usually right around mile 18, mile 20. And I think, <laughs> I think I have it narrowed down to a hydration thing. I think it's hydration related. I, I originally thought it was fuel and then I took more and more in than like you could ever imagine in New York. So I know it wasn't fuel. Um, then I thought I had a little knee injury going into New York. So I thought it was my right knee. And, uh, but then in Atlanta, I took plenty of more in and I had the knee all squared away. So I'm, I think it comes down to hydration. I got to take more electrolytes, I think, uh, maybe get some sweat testing done. But I definitely think if I, if I went out to like a Chicago or a CIM, I could figure out how to run. I, well, my coach's PR is 211 and I always shoot for his PR. So, so something around there, I think is, is within the wheelhouse. And I'm, I considered myself someone who's going to run for a long time. So, um, once I get a goal, I kind of check it off and move on. Like breaking four was a goal. I think, you know, running, as close to 210 as I can as a goal. And I, I think I'll probably keep at it until I, until I do it. You know, if you run 211, you can't, you can't not try to break 210. So I know that one's a little lofty, but, um, I'm, I'm 28. I've got, I've definitely got some good years left. So, um, so we'll see what happens. I, you, you gotta keep raising the bar and running. Like if you don't, then, you know, you're just not going to be motivated, motivated enough to ever get better. So, um, so yeah, I, I got to run 213, 214 before I can run 210s and I got to run two, 211 before I can run 209. So I've, I've got a couple left, but, um, we'll see when my coach always puts his foot down on things. I was texting him last week and I was like, Oh, like, what do you think about Chicago? And he was like, I think you need a break from marathoning. You did three in the past, in the past nine months. And I was like, Oh yeah, good point. All right. Well, we'll wait until 2021, I guess. So now you do some coaching as well. So the way that you're like constantly texting and hassling and sort of planting seeds with your coach, are you seeing the same come back to you from your athletes? Yeah, I'm the worst to coach. Um, <laughs> all my athletes would probably say the same. I, uh, I'm a little, I could be a little unresponsive, but I, I've, um, but yeah, I, I love coaching. I really love working with the runners that I work with. Um, I feel like I have a really good, um, connection with all of them. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've gotten to the point where, um, I'm not really accepting new people. So, everyone that I'm working with, I, I know exactly what they're trying to do. I, I know what goals they have. And, um, you know, my coaching style is, is very similar to my own coaches, which is it's very simplistic. You know, if you, if you run good mileage and you do a couple good workouts every week, you're going to get fit. Um, it's not ever going to be like hyper, hyper specific. Um, it's all just good, solid, like 5k, 10k 
training. Um, you know, you can go run a great marathon off of 10 K training and you can run a good mile off of 10 K training. So, um, but it's, since I graduated from college, which was seven years ago now, like I've been kind of dabbling in coaching and doing more and more of it as I've gotten older. And it's always been the most fulfilling part for me about working in the running industry is, um, you know, whether it's like leading a run club at Tracksmith and, you know, just holding the stopwatch and timing splits or working closely with someone, um, you know, it is all, I would say it's more special watching someone you coach run a personal best than it is for you to run a personal best. Um, it, it really is a, is a good feeling. Um, so yeah, I mean like watching, like I coached my girlfriend and she ran 244 at Philly. And like, I think that was like the most special feeling I've ever had after any race, like even more so than breaking four in the mile. I think I ran the last, I was like out on the course cheering for her. So I think I ran, the last mile faster than she did having to like cut through security and get to the finish line. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a good feeling to watch someone that you invest a lot of time in go out and, and run well. So I was speaking to Drew friend of friend of tempo, friend of the show, Drew, who, uh, you coach as well. And he was saying that you are like, you're very tuned in you. He says you're able to pretty much predict his race times to like the minute. Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Drew is, uh, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I, um, I'm actually like, I, one thing that I really learned about myself in the past, in the past year is there's a fine line with coaching. Um, so like, like I mentioned earlier, my coach is like super blunt. He will, but he also instills a lot of confidence in me, but I, I definitely like picked up his bluntness and like, and I can sometimes be like, overly blunt with the people that I'm coaching. Like, like I might have an athlete, I might have an athlete come to me and say like, you know, I think I can run, you know, one Oh, or one thirteen and a half marathon. And I might be like, uh, let's settle down. Like, I don't know if that's a realistic goal. And like, you need the coach to say that every once in a while, but you also don't want to like knock them down, you know, like, um, there's, there's this like really fine line. And I think with, with Drew specifically, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the listeners will know Drew, but if they don't, Drew, like, is a very talented runner that kind of picked it up later in life, and he's improved a ton. Drew's an example of some someone that, like, I think needs to believe in themselves even more. Like, I think um, a lot of the people that I would coach would have loftier goals for themselves than, than Drew, so I think I'm, I'm more on the money with him. Uh, we're kind of more on the same page, but I think, you know, there is something to, like, pushing yourself, uh, are pushing the athlete a little bit to believe in themselves a little bit more and, and, and try to set those, like I said, like raise the bar and set loftier goals for themselves. So, um, it's, it's definitely a tricky balance. It's something that I've had to, to kind of like figure out a little bit this year. Um, it, it's both like being blunt, but also instilling confidence. You get, you have to do both. Um, and it, and it can be tough. So, Let's talk a little bit more about Boston and your role at Tracksmith. You're the community manager there. So what does that exactly entail? It's a role that's definitely evolved a bit in the past three years. So I've been with Tracksmith for, it'll be three years in June. Um, I originally came on um, to be the retail manager and to help grow a running community. So three years ago, for those of you that don't know, Tracksmith opened up their first brick and mortar on, on Newberry Street. Um our, the majority of our sales are still online, but we have this really cool running clubhouse that people can come and visit. Um, you know, we have a whole lounge space dedicated on the second floor. Um, so early days, it was just, you know, working the floor, sitting in the shop, selling product. And, um, and we started run club. We did, uh, a Tuesday speed workout, a Thursday tempo run, a Sunday long run. Um, and for anyone that's started a run club before, they know that, uh, it's slow going when you first start a run club. Uh, you might have some nights where you've got three or four people. The, the actually funny story: the first run I ever led, there was a um, a Diamond League race going on, and the Diamond League races are in the afternoon in the U.S. usually. So it was like a Thursday afternoon, middle of the summer. Um, so I was like, oh, let's do like a Diamond League viewing party at the track house, and we'll we'll do like an easy run on the river or something like that. It's the first run I ever led one person showed up and it was like 90 degrees. Uh, and I just jogged with this person, uh, like eight minute pace on the river. And we came back and like watched a couple events of the diamond league. And 
you know, so it, it takes a long time to build a community, but I'm really proud now we, we're, at, we're at the point. Um, and I would like to say the, the person that came to that run still comes to Run Club all the time. Uh, so we, we got our hook. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, but, uh, but yeah, the, I'm really, really proud of the community that we've built. Uh, we still do the Tuesday, Thursday runs. Uh, we've experimented with some other offshoots. You, I think, came to one of the morning runs one time. That is an example of something we tried and didn't quite work out, but still kind of experimenting with some morning workouts. We've, we've done some indoor track workouts over at Harvard. Um, but the real crown jewel is definitely we do um, Boston Marathon training uh, called 100 Days to Boston. And that is something that we started last year. Um, and we will get between 100 and 200 runners at every single long run. Um, when it's when it's not Boston training, we call it Church of the Long Run. It's it's our best event um, and has really um, been a focal point in growing the community. So um, after about a year and a half, I kind of transitioned out of retail and more into like a full-time community-focused role. Um, so yeah, so I work on, you know, running clubs and stuff like that. I manage our Boston racing team, which has about 120 people on it now. Um, we win pretty much every, uh, road race Grand Prix that we show up to, but, uh, we also usually have one of the largest and liveliest teams. So I have big goals for that group too. I want to, um, you know, have a really competitive master's division on that team and, and really grow out the demographic. I would love for like the tracksmith hair AC singlet to be like the most visible singlet at the BAA 5k, BAA 10k and Boston marathon, all the major Boston races. And, um, so that team has grown significantly in the past year. Um, but I'm also fortunate and get to work on a lot of other like marketing related projects. Um, my big project last year was, um, the OTQ program. Um, so we, we sponsored anyone that wanted to run for Tracksmith at the um, Olympic Marathon Trials in Atlanta could sign up to be part of the program. And we ended the program with 138 amateur athletes. Um, it was the by far the most visible singlet on the course that day. Uh, we had 20% of the women's field. Um, so that was a really special project to work on. Um, I work on a lot of our team uh, partnerships. Um, so, you know, we've been working with Jacuzzi Boys for a while. We just um, we just signed Central Park Track Club, which is the biggest club in, in New York City. Um, so, yeah, so we've, you know, I, I'm fortunate and get to, to work on a lot of really interesting things. And I think the the bigger, more exciting part of the community, which you're a part of also, is our Hair AC community. Um, we've got about 2,000 members in that and it's only about a year and a half old and, you know, constantly just thinking of ways that we can grow that community. Um, Hair AC, for people that don't know, uh, if you don't mind a quick plug, is um, it's it's our global running community. So um, it is our, our hope that, you know, anyone that wants to uh, be more connected with the brand or just be a little bit more immersed in, in running culture and be part of a larger community can sign up for this. It's $128 for the year. You get a racing singlet and you can also qualify for a PR bonus. So if you run a PR in a race, you get a $100 Tracksmith gift card. And uh, aside from all that, you know, we're, we're constantly just thinking of ways to add more incentives uh, for Hair AC members. Um, they find out when product launches are coming before everyone else. They have access to special product. Um, we're kind of dabbling with some race incentives for, for 2020. Um, so there's, there's a lot of things. And in my mind, I think Harry C could be huge. Uh, it's just a matter of like figuring out how we want to grow it and how it makes sense with all the other things that we're doing. And I think if we make the right decisions, it can be a really useful tool for runners all over the world. So, um, so that's kind of like a, a long-term focus of mine. So now marathon season is obviously a huge deal to a lot of us and to Tracksmith as well. And I know you guys were essentially supposed to be in London for the whole month of April with that, that marathon pop-up. So looking at the calendar now and that back sort of couple of months of the year, what is that going to look like for you guys? Uh, well, um, if they all happen, uh, I can tell you that my racing season's probably not going to be anything too impressive. Uh, <laughs> but it's great. I mean, fall is like, Fall, whether it's three marathon majors or six, like, or five or whatever it is, is always a crazy time for us, you know. Um, it's also cross country season, which is like an exciting, exciting part of our local racing team. And we have aspirations to do cross country on a bigger level as a, as a brand. Um, 
But I don't know. It's it's fun. Like uh, I mean, Drew, we talked about like you know he comes on those on those pop ups as well as as our one of our point men as customer service rep, and you know it, it's really special to go and interact with our customers on a more intimate level. Um, you know, I would like to think that Tracksmith, no matter how big we grow, and hopefully we we grow huge, um, we'll always have that intimate relationship with our customers because we do things like this and and go to um, go to these events where we know our customer base lives and interact with them. Um, you know, we have a Hair AC brunch at all of our marathon majors where Hair AC members can come and, and and share a cup of coffee with us after the race, and we we do poster stamping for um, all those marathons. So you know, you can come anyone can come by and get their time stamped on a a poster and that like I was stamping posters after New York last year and that was awesome like people some people knew me and were asking me about my race but it's also just really cool to like sit there and be like oh like what was your time and they tell you your time and you talk to talk to them about their race and you stamp their poster it's a really nice like intimate experience that we provide um and I, I don't think many other brands are doing that. And I, I hope that we can continue to do that at a really high level as we grow. So uh, to answer your question, I think <laughs> it's going to be crazy and we're going to be tired. But I think we'll just really be focused on um, on like enjoying it because it, it is a really special time whenever we get to go to a marathon major. And each city offers something unique. You know what I mean? Like New York's got the crowds, like Chicago has the fast times, like London last year with with Kipchoge and like the race down to the wire like each city like has its own really unique feel so like for me like I love just going just being there and experiencing it and and meeting as many people as I can. I remember Boston 2018 was the year that I was there and that was the year that it was torrential rain and wind and it's the year that Des and Yuki won it and I just remember Aside from it being like the coldest and wettest I've ever been in my life, getting back to the track house after the race and that place was packed. It was full of runners. But then also learning about that tradition you guys have of, is it the first one back to the track house? Yeah. Yeah. So that year, I mean, two two quick spinoffs of that. Um, I mean, first off, the scene at the track house after the race that year was, I, I've never seen the track house like that. It, it, we went from like... S- we went from selling mode to like, it was like a hospital. Like people were shivering and we were just like grabbing clothes off of the, off of the racks and just giving people warm dry clothes. It was like, it was a war zone. And it was like, there were several moments where we all just like stopped and looked around and we're just like, wow, this is crazy. Like that people chose to come here after to get, to get warm. And it, it was really special. Um, you know, the, it, it just, it felt alive and, and it, it was really cool. Um, so I, I don't think any of us will ever forget 2018. I, um, I'm sure you won't. <laughs> um, but even like, you know, Tracksmith's one of our, our big brand thing is like celebrating the amateur and like, you know, Yuki won the men's race that year. And, um, you know, Des is like, obviously she's a professional runner, but she, she's an underdog in every marathon she starts. And, you know, she's also a friend of the brand. Um, and, and just seeing those two people pull off the wins there, it was just such a special year. And I think we'll probably remember it forever. Um, but the first, the track house for 2018, um, was was crazy. So we had uh, the guy who won. His name is Tate Shinebaum, and uh, I think he runs for Jacuzzi Boys now. Um, but like he had been in the in the track house like the day before, and we have we we, we do a robe for the winner, and it says like first of the track house on the back. It's like a really nice merino wool, heavy merino wool robe. Um, and he was in the track house and he's like bragging to like his buddies how he's going to win the robe and the race. And uh, we always get a, we always get a couple people that come through and they're like, I'm going to win that robe. Um, and anyway, so uh, so Tate, like he won the robe. He I think he finished 18th overall. He comes running in. He's like dripping wet, doesn't have any of his warm ups. He had to jump over the security fences after he crossed the finish line to get back to the track house. So usually at Boston, they make you walk all the way down and and go out and you get your, you know, your whatever uh, warming, forget what those things are called. 
and and then you funnel out. But he <laughs> jumped the barrier and raced over the track house, comes sprinting up the steps, and he's like, "Did I win? Did I win?" And we're like, "Yeah, you won!" Like, and we just like threw the robe on him, and we're like stripping him down and like finding him warm socks and warm clothes. But the the real crazy part of the story was like maybe not two minutes later, the guy who finished twelfth comes running in and uh, looking for the robe. And we were like, oh, my God. It's this guy, um, Matt Herzig. He he lives in Philly now, and he used to live in Boston. And he's a really, really talented runner. But we had to be like, no, like, <laughs> sorry. Like, the 18th guy wa- wanted it a little bit more. So, um, so, yeah, it's crazy. And I think, you know, each year it's gotten a little bit more um, notable. Uh, we had a local... Um, Boston runner win it this past year, Sam Fazioli. So that was like super, a really cool moment. He looked like he had like three more gears. We were like all outside on the street waiting for him to come running down the street. And he's like jumping up and down and like threw the robe on him and gave him a beer. Um, and then the, the woman that won, uh, Rachel Coogan, she runs to the BAA and she, she worked for us that year. Um, so that was kind of cool and special. Uh, but there's always the, the worst is the, is the second place finisher who comes like hobbling up the street. Like they just raced a marathon and they're trying to get this robe and they have a chance and it's, it's already gone. So, um, it's a cool tradition. Um, and I, I don't think we'll ever stop doing it. So it's, it's something we have to plan for now because we don't make the, we used to make a post run robe, but now we don't. So, uh, so we have to like make sure we have enough like fabric to make the, the robe every single year. So, um, so yeah, so hopefully we'll get to continue that that tradition in, in 2020. Now, I want to go back quickly to that uh, message conversation you were talking about earlier with your coach when you were asking kind of what your next goals or what your plan should be. Yeah. And the message from your coach, I'm just pulling it up on your Twitter now, run some miles, drink some beer, have a nice meal, drink some more beer, get a good night's sleep, run some miles. Now, you are prolific on Instagram with your, I guess, your beer appreciation, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. Is there a lesson in that for the rest of us, for a lot of us amateurs who kind of uh, take it a little bit too seriously sometimes? Yes, I I mean, I think everyone's different. Um, I I have a lot of um, habits that I think are healthy. Uh, (laughs) You know, I I have become, I've become a vegetarian in the past year, Um, you know, so I think kind of naturally I'm eating a lot more vegetables and, um, you know, I've, I've, always kind of just felt like a a beer at the end of the day kind of just like helps me wind down and helps me relax. And like, especially after a big mileage day, it's kind of like, I'm almost kind of craving it. Um, but I will say, you know, uh, when I was in college, like probably similar to a lot of people, like we had, you know, beer was like drinking was like off limits in season, you know, you just like, you didn't do it. Um, you know, we, we never had like a dry season where you just didn't drink at all, but, um, it was basically like, we would train all week and then we would race on Saturday and then we would drink like so much Saturday night and party because the race was over and then we would just go back to zero. And I always just kind of like thought of like drinking when I was in college as like this big negative um, that was like, you know, if I had one beer, it was going to really negatively impact my training. Um and then I, I stopped training for a little bit and, you know, I, I started to take an interest in drinking a little bit more. And uh, I learned that you can drink uh, things other than Bud Light and Bush Light and PBR um, and whatever, whatever the Australian equivalents would be of, of those shitty beers uh, and learned about nice beers a little bit. And uh, and then when I so when I started training hard again, I I was still, you know, having a nice be- one or one or two nice beers every night. Um, and I just found that it like, it really complements the mileage well for me. Um, you know, a nice, a nice IPA after like a, a long run or a hard workout really just kind of helps put the cap on the day for me. So, um, you know, I've had plenty of good races where I've had a, a beer the night before I, I, um, I had, uh, I had one beer before New York. Um, I wanted to have a second and I was like, no, don't be, you trained months for this race. You don't need a second beer <laughs> at dinner. Um, but yeah, I just, I am, a, I think the, the bigger overhanging lesson here is like, don't, don't fuck with your routine, you know, like, especially like around workouts and races. Like if you have a routine that works for you day in, day out, um, 
you should stick to it because your body, your body is used to that routine. I see, I think one of the most common mistakes that runners make is they, they get close to the race and they try to change everything. You know, they try to eat healthier or like cut out caffeine or like, there's all these like small things that you hear about people doing leading into a race. And like, I'm just a really big proponent of like, you can be mindful and smart <laughs> about how you handle yourself leading into a workout in a race, but you don't want to like pull a 180 and, and start having your body do a bunch of things it's not used to. So, uh, I think that's the, the bigger overhanging lesson, you know, like if you're used to a beer, like with dinner, have a beer with dinner, you know, uh, the night before your race, it's not going to affect you. It, you. Your body's probably craving it, if anything. So um, I'm not saying I, I have a beer before every race because I, I don't often more often than not. I, I don't. But um, I, what I am saying is like you should if your body is craving something, uh, you should give it to it. It's actually I'll, I'll I listened to uh, the Tim Rossi podcast before uh, when you asked me to be on, uh, and it's funny that he brought up once a runner because I had just finished reading once a runner for the second time. No and I know your feelings on once a runner now, but it's like the, when the furnace is hot, did you get to that quote yet? Like yeah. anything will burn. Like that's one of the most famous quotes, but like, it, it's basically like if you're training hard, you know, and your body wants X, Y, Z, you just, you just give it to it. It's going to be fine. So, okay. Well, now I have to ask about once a runner. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's your thoughts on it? It sounds like you're going to be team Tim. I mean, you've read it twice, so you must like it. I've read it more than twice. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, I read it in high school. It's actually, I'm not a big reader. Um, I've, I've gotten into reading later in life a little more, but I still don't, if you ask any of my friends, I don't, I don't read that much, you know, may, maybe a, a book every two months or so, but I, I read, I read shoe dog when quarantine started. It's a great book. Um, if, if people haven't read it, it it's, um, Phil Knight's memoir, the founder of Nike. It, it reads like a novel. Um, very interesting. So after that was, after I was done with that, I, I kind of wanted to read another running book. And the only, I have a couple of running books in the house. I've got running with the Kenyans and, uh, two hours and, but I, I hadn't read, um, once a runner in ages, and it's actually, I think, the only book that I've ever asked for as a gift. I was in high school. Um, and it, this, I don't think will get me in trouble, but I'll tell the story because I think it's a good story. But uh, when I was in high school, the book was like actually out of publication. Like you couldn't get it anywhere. And uh, my dad uh, had a friend that had the book and he went out and photocopied the whole book and had it bound. So I have this like... I don't have it in my room. Otherwise I would show it to you, but I have this like all white copy of once a runner. So it feels very one of a kind. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just like, it's a book that I read in high school. So I think, I don't remember if Tim touched on this or not, but I think it, uh, maybe the reason why it's not resonating with you is like, it has a lot of nostalgia. Cause like, you know, a lot of the people in my circles read this book when they were like just getting into running in high school. And it's about this guy who just like puts it all on the line and then like, Whoa, whoa. Lou just nearly gave away the whole ending of once a runner. So we've censored that. So if you haven't read it yet, you can still go and check that out. I think that that is like everyone's dream, right? Like on some level, when they start running, they want to get to the very top. So um, I've read like chapters here and there, like when he does like the 60 by 400 workout to get me like psyched up for races and stuff like that. Like it's like you got to take everything with a grain of salt because obviously like no one would go do that right now, but I'd be lying to you if I, if I said that I hadn't been like scouring Zillow for the past three weeks, looking for cabins in New Hampshire and Vermont, because that'd be so cool to just go up there and train on dirt roads and get scary fit right now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a quick, it's an easy read, but, uh, but I, I could see how, uh, if you didn't grow up with it, it might be kind of tough to get through for sure. Okay. Apart from, a bit of running and reading once a runner again. Uh, what are you doing right now to stay sane? Is it a bit of Netflix? Is it some other stuff around the house? I know your partner Gabby has an amazing uh, work from home desk situation set up, <laughs> which looks pretty wild. But what are you doing to stay sane? Um, I've done uh, some some home improvement. I made a I made a mask. Uh, I used the sewing machine for the first time um, since since middle school. Um, I hung some shelves in my bedroom that I've been meaning to hang for the past three months. Um, you know, I've I made a loaf of sourdough, which I've never done before. So I, I've just been 
trying to, uh, you know, just do little, little things that I've, I've kind of been putting off. Oh, actually, I'll tell you the one thing that's been keeping me. I bought a camera. Um, I've, a, I've been wanting, wanting a camera. So I, I bought a camera just to like have, um, I think the thought process was like, you know, it'd be nice to have a nice camera that I can just have for the rest of my life. So I've been like, I've been like probably a little over obsessed with just like walking around and taking pictures of stuff. And I know I'm not very good because I'm like, I'm almost friends with like too many photographers. So now I feel like whenever I post a picture, I'm going to get judged. But, um, but that's been a, that's been a fun, a fun hobby that's kept me busy. And when I ordered it, I was literally like, so I, I got the camera. Um, but then it didn't, it didn't come with a memory card, obviously, which I knew, but I had ordered a memory card on Amazon. So I was waiting for that. And it's literally the only time I've been like, I had like tracked an Amazon delivery on my phone and like hit refresh. And I like think I kind of like met the delivery guy at the door and, and got the memory card so I could start taking pictures. But, uh, but that's been, that's been keeping me busy as well. So, um, but so yeah, just, just looking for a little, like, crafts and things to get through the day. And, and I feel very lucky, like, you know, we're still working right now. So, um, the most, most of my day, you know, I'll just wake up, go for my run and, and work for, for a couple hours and, and do some meetings and run again and take a couple more meetings. And before you know it, it's, it's six o'clock and it's time for a beer, um, time to make dinner. So, uh, so yeah, so where are I? I'm just trying to, to take advantage of this time to, you know, it's, it's been great. Like, spend a ton of time with Gabby now, like more than I had before. Um, even though we live together now, we spend every, every single day together. So, um, there's a lot of silver linings in this. Like it's obviously a a terrible time, but I, I'm a very positive person and I, I believe that you have to stay positive in times like this. So that's, that's all I'm trying to do. Totally. All right, man. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for being on running things. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay, you know what? It might be time that I admit defeat on Once a Runner, as well as now, obviously, Lou chiming in and vouching for it. I've had so many people hit me up and say that they have read the book multiple times and that they love it. So, you know what? I'm happy to admit that I was wrong on this one. I'm still not going to read it, but uh, yeah, good for you guys. Once a Runner, check it out. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thanks so much for listening and for checking that one out. I think you'll agree Lou's a, a super interesting guy. Next week, we're back to two episodes a week. We've got Charlotte Perdue dropping at the start of the week. She's a British marathoner. And then staying in the UK, yes, I still feel bad for like ragging on them a little bit a couple of weeks back, staying in the UK for late next week's episode with Dan Vernon, who's the photographer for NN Running Team. So I'm naturally super excited about that one. If you have any feedback or questions or comments or anything else to share with me, editor at tempojournal.com or jump into the tempo dms on instagram or you can jump into my dms at the wolferine and we'll take it from there thanks so much for listening 